So remind me, what's your deal again? I'm Sophia Helena, the goods, Mace Dutricht. I've got hair on my balls, and I talk about movies. The end. Welcome to Off the Film Path. Here we review and discuss movies that, for better or for worse, are less known to the general public. Today we are discussing 2009's The Goods, Live Hard, Sell Hard. I'm Kyle. And I'm Sophia. I gotta say, this is one that, for better, that people don't really know about it. Yeah, this... So, I... There's a lot going on in this one. This is another one that, despite myself, I enjoy. Problematic fave, if you will. The zingers and one-liners are fucking S-tier. The rest of the movie, whoo boy. I really like Jeremy Piven. I don't know that I would say I like Jeremy Piven, but I liked his performance in this movie. Well, last summer when I may or may not have had COVID, I was like, well, I've lost all my sense of taste. Let's watch Entourage. (laughs) I love that. And he's the best part of Entourage. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I will agree with that, like, The rest of Entourage is just intolerable. But member of the tribe. Yep, yep, yep. And also went to my alma mater for two years. Ah, I did not know that. I don't know anybody whose face you would want to see on a camera who has been to my alma mater, much less attended. Okay. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Boy, howdy. We open up on a used car lot that isn't doing great and. The music for this is what my father, Zikron Alivracha, would call crying in your bear country. Yeah. It's also in Temecula, California. Is that a poll that I don't know? No, but as they say later, it's not even motherfucking Fresno. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Temecula, it's not even motherfucking Fresno. Just a nothing tap. Like, I live in the Midwest, so I know nothing towns. Temecula ain't shit. I've lived in some nothing towns. Temecula ain't shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, this isn't going great. Everybody's kind of just chilling. Nobody's selling cars. Nobody seems interested in selling cars. Or in buying cars, rather. And we're introduced to one of the salespeople, a Mr. Dick Lewiston. This old, abrasive asshole. (laughs) Just the worst. And he clearly is stuck somewhere in the 1950s. Now, let me guess. The lady of the house needs a car so she can go to the garden club while the man of the house stays home and plays gin rummy with the boys. No, actually, we want a car to go rock climbing. Rock climbing? Why'd you want to do that? (laughs) And this devolves into a fist fight. Yeah. We... Hand then to the owner of this used car lot, Ben Selleck. Yeah, and he's kind of despairing over the state of his used car lot in Temecula, California. Sure. And guess who shows up? Friend of the pod, Ken Jong. Friend of the pod, as of this movie. <laughs> as of this movie, friend of the pod, Ken Jong, shows up. And he has made a sale. Good for you, Teddy. And he wanted to pay in cash in neatly packed, non-sequential bills in this canvas bag, which he then opens to inspect the cash and gets just blue right in the face. Also, Ben's like right-hand man for this scene is Tony Hale. Delightful. Yeah, he doesn't do much in the movie. No, he doesn't. Guy named Zuha. That's his name. But Ben says... It's time to bring in some mercenaries, right? That's what he calls them? Yeah, a weekend warrior. It's time to call a mercenary. And like, all right, they're called sales consultants. And they are pricks. I assume they all operate out of strip clubs in Flagstaff, Arizona. (laughs) Which is where we cut to to meet our team of mercenaries. Jeremy Piven, Mr. Don the Goods Ready. Babs Merrick, played by Catherine Hahn. Jibby, Ving Rames, and very nearly friend of the pod, David Ketchner, is Brent Gage. This team has some good chemistry. I like them as actors working together. That is very true. 
And thank God they brought in Catherine Hahn. Yes. Because even though she can hang with the boys, she does bring a certain je ne sais quoi as a woman. Yes. Although they steadfastly and pointedly refuse to refer to her as a woman. Catherine Hahn is trans confirmed. We we claim her. <laughs> no. What are you, a Swifty who thinks she's secretly gay? <laughs> Have you heard folklore? No. The most lesbian album ever, and that's including everything King Princess has done. Fine. Are you a Harry Styles fan who thinks he's secretly gay? Have you seen Harry Styles? No. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. I don't watch movies that feel like real films, like actual movies. (laughs) I watch bullshit like this. (laughs) This is what we do. Yeah. Fucking hell, they spend so much fucking time in strip clubs because, again, that's where we meet them initially. We will see them at least two more times. And it's just the vibe for sales consultants. They're a sleazy bunch. So, yeah, Don gets the call and tells the team, and they are initially not psyched. Babs says, fuck, we just wrapped the last job an hour ago. I still smell like customer. (laughs) Which just, mwah. We also plant here this idea that will keep coming back that something happened in Albuquerque, which they keep referring to as Kirky. Yes. So they go to Temecula and on the flight, they have a fun time at the airport and on the plane. I don't know how much detail we want to go into this because honestly, this is part of the reason, like the arguments that are made in this scene are the reason that we have the hard right and such like a hypnotized into believing they're right. Yes. Here's the short of it. Don wants to smoke. Kristen Shaw, nearly friend of the pod, says, you can't do that. He gives an impassioned speech that like suckers just eat up because he's a selfish bastard who just can't wait to smoke for what's the flight from Flagstaff to Temecula? An hour, maybe? Maybe two hours. Holy hell. Just don't fucking smoke for two hours. Anyway, this greedy prick gets everybody so riled up about freedoms that not only does he have a smoke, they have a full-on party. I don't want to have a party on a plane. Leave me the fuck alone. That's true. He complains about a bunch of stuff like the Homeland Security and whatnot, and he's right that flying sucks. That doesn't mean you're allowed to smoke. (laughs) Yeah. I have to fly somewhere on Wednesday, and I am not excited. Flying, they've made it miserable. I do like that this ended with a welly and truly everybody clapped moment. (laughs) Yes. And also Kristen Shaw got her shirt ripped off, which I feel like that happens a lot with her. Yeah. I don't really have anything for that. Just an observation. This will come up way more in a moment. I also feel like Catherine Hahn's characters frequently, she gets to be very horny in movies. But in a weird way. Yes. Which usually it's like good for her. We will find out why that's not great here. Basically, the point on the airplane is our show don't tell of Don being a good salesman. Which they then tell, I'm Don Ready and I've got the goods. Title card. Yeah. So who meets them at the airport, Sophia? Almost friend of the pod, Rob Riggle, playing Peter Selleck, age 10. And okay, so first off, everybody is aged way down in this movie way down like Mm -hmm. ivy's not 29 that's not what a 29 year old looks like but okay peter Selleck is age 10 but that is not the body of a 30 year old man that is the body of a 45 year old man of a rob riggle (laughs) of a rob riggle i think he had a lot of fun in this movie he did have a lot of fun in this movie very clearly anyway they don't believe him that he's actually 10 so there's a weird exchange Ben comes, picks them up, and, like, smooths everything over. Sure, whatever. Yeah, so he has a pituitary gland disorder that has caused his body to develop into adulthood by the age of 10, while he is still very much a child. And, because it's Rob Riggle, Babs has an attraction. This is going to be real uncomfortable going forward. So, like, content warning. There's going to be a lot of pedo jokes in here. It's not cute. It's barely passable as comedy. That said, I will note that there is a recognition that women can be predators. Yes. And at pretty much every turn, people are like, Babs, you can't be doing this. 
yes, everybody is like, what is wrong with you? He's 10. So interesting inversion there. But otherwise, it's just pedo jokes and it's not cute. So we're going to skip over most of that. Yes. Also, speaking of people being horny for another, Ben is horny for Brent. Ben is extremely horny for Brent. And that one we'll talk a little more about. (laughs) And Don is obviously horny for Ivy. Ben's 29-year-old, quote-unquote 29-year-old daughter. I say in quotes because not what a 29-year-old looks like, as you said. So yeah, on to the car lot. They're driving from the airport to the hotel, and they pass by the car lot. Don, unprompted, tells the story of his first sale, and like, we don't care yet, but he did sell a hippity hop, which is, as he says, a balloon with a handle on it. He took a trade in for that and walked away with a new one of those, oh, fuck, what are they called? It was a tricycle, right? Yeah, it's, it's just a tricycle. Sure. All right. Do not care. So then they pass by the lot and there's some more S-tier one-liners. Then they go to their home, the Hacienda Courts. Oh, God. La Quinta Inn sued the shit out of them for this. I know it. (laughs) Fuck La Quinta Inns. Yeah, they're gross. So we get the vibe that Babs is bisexual here. It's not the last time that that'll come up, but... There's a scene with like the in-room porno and Brent was like, well, I paid for it. It'd be disrespectful <laughs> not to masturbate. And then it cuts to Babs making the same selection. She's like, okay, let's keep this anonymous. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. And Ving Rames watches Dawson's Creek. <laughs> he has a great line that includes word I can't say. <laughs> because it's sometimes funny and sometimes telling. I always watch these movies with the closed captions on. Ving Rhames does not use a hard R to describe James Vanderbeek. The subtitles do. I thought on mine it was an A. Anyway. Not on mine. I used YouTube and it was a hard R. I watched on HBO. Okay. So there you go. Fucking Google and their YouTubes. They go to the Selleck home for a meal before they have to sell the next day. And holy shit, Wendy Malick is in this movie? Yep. Not really, but she's there as Ben's wife, who they don't love each other, I guess. Whatever. Yeah, it's because Ben's gay. Yeah. And of the generation of man where that's not acceptable, so just grin and bear it. Yep. Go cruising for ass. Don prefers Arby's to actual food, so that was fun. (laughs) It's a thing that Never comes up again. It just, it goes to show you that these sales consultants are sleazy as a group. And they each have their own particular sleaze, but they are disgusting people. Some more bullshit, more bullshit. In walks Paxton. Very nearly friend of the pod, Ed Helms. He walks in by saying, hello, hello, I'm Ivy's fiance. It's like, all right. In this movie, he looks particularly goofy. Yes. I can't tell if this is lazy writing or the funniest writing ever. (laughs) You know, I think it's deft, but it's also overdone. Yeah. Like they overplayed their hand a little bit. So the thing here is this is perhaps one of the best satires, most effective satires I've ever seen. And there is a point where calling out the thing that is happening is funny if you use it sparingly. For example... When Don pulls out his Arby's and goes, I'm sorry, Mrs. Selleck, I'm one of those rare birds that prefers takeout to a home-cooked meal, Ben says, Don, I gotta tell you, that is just flat-out weird and rude, but you do you. And that's, (laughs) yes, thank you for telling us exactly what we all already knew. It's funny a couple of times. I think they overplay it. Sure. So Paxton's engaged to Ivy. He is in a... Initially, you learn it's a band. It becomes clear very quickly that it's a boy band yes you're a man in a boy band it's a man band we're all over 30 it's a man band we call it a man band he tries to flex by saying they opened for o-town and my only point of reference for that is an episode of clone high where they have ashley park angel from o-town it's like all right i missed that entire genre of music yeah i wasn't big into that but he goes you can google it they're like, I'm not going to Google it. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, no. Google it. No. I made a note here. I feel like Ed Helms frequently plays characters 
that are going to take every L they possibly can. It's a little bit cringy, and I have a hard time with cringe comedy, but yeah. Yeah. This and The Office especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from here we go to... To a strip club. We go to a strip club. Right, yeah. Because of course we do. And I gotta say, these lap dances are physically dangerous for all parties. Yes. That is depraved. Now don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that is disgusting. Don't get me wrong. I do have an erection. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Craig Robinson as DJ Request. DJ Request is perhaps my favorite character in this movie. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. His opener here is, hey guys, get those food orders in because in 20 minutes, the kitchen staff is going out for a porno shoot. Are you disgusted? I am. Which, you have to hire that guy. Jimmy and Babs talk. Jimmy reveals that he's never, quote unquote, made love. Like he's fucked, but he hasn't made love. And it's like, all right. You know what? I would like to amend a previous proclamation I've made on this podcast where I said the lamest of all possible motivations for a male character is not being able to say I love you. Nope. The distinction between fucking and making love is the laziest motivation for a male character. And because Jimmy shared a secret, Babs shares the secret that she wants to bang Peter. And they're like, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. She goes, well, he's in the body of a 30-year-old man, so who's to blame? You, you the adult. You'd be the one to blame. <laughs> I had not seen much of Ving Rhames apart from Pulp Fiction and Lilo and Stitch. I like Ving Rhames. Yeah. I remember him back in, like, Mission Impossible. Why is Cobra Bubbles talking about having threesomes and foursomes? <laughs> 114s, golden, platinum, and diamond showers. I like those. <laughs> I like that. Very good character. I really enjoy Jibby. So they book some strippers and the DJ. Yeah, good energy. So then they go to the lot? Yes, it's day one of selling. It says they have about 214 cars on the lot. Yes, 200. It's about. 211. Okay. So 211 cars on the lot. They have to clear as many in this 4th of July sale as possible. Regular salesmen are on the floor waiting for Don to hype them up. Meanwhile, Don and Brent are in the bathroom with mostly Brent hyping him up. I love this hype up. This is my favorite sequence of the movie. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. It's very funny, but like... Google it. Yeah, I actually, in my tweet thread, there's a couple of screen caps of the subtitles. (laughs) Brent has the best lines in this movie, just 100%. While that's happening, Babs gets up on a sort of raised platform and tells a story about, like, gang violence in the Bronx. Yep. Mm, Maybe in the 90s that was a thing. I mean, it was a thing in the 90s, but... Yeah. No, it it is fake. It's made up. Have a great sale, everybody. I only noted a few quotes, but I did have one here. When you die, poop leaves your butt. Since we're doing quotes. Yeah. Mm, Looks like my husband has a Don Ready. (laughs) 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 too good so don comes out does the thing sophia did in the intro you're welcome yeah where he says i have hair on my balls and i sell cars the end and whips them up into a patriotic frenzy that ends with dick hate criming teddy and they all join in yeah oh ken jong's character's name is teddy i don't think we covered that right and I was a little surprised they actually called this out as a hate crime. See, this is the thing. I think this movie is accidentally, accidentally woke because first off, they call out the pedophilia that the woman does. Mm -hmm. They call out the hate crime and every weird thing that every character has with the exception of Paxton, with whom he has a conflict. Don is like really easygoing about it. Like when Ben gets weird with Brent, He's just like, all right, okay, sure. And then like when Jimmy gets weird about communicating that he is a virgin, even though that's not true at all, right. he's just like, huh, okay, weird. He's a decent guy. He's just a sleazy shitbag. Take one step back. This was, I believe, produced by Will Ferrell and Adam McKay. So, you know, the team behind Step Brothers, Talladega mm-hmm. Night, a lot of those types of movies. and. 
I feel like there's a similar through line of there's a lot of stuff that doesn't hold up, but there is stuff that's like, ah, oh, it's basically liberal left wing. Yeah. It's a movie that is more tolerant than the average comedian. So there's a skip here where everybody oh, that's right. Brent gives his speech before Don does, talking about how he financed MC Hammer for a car while MC Hammer was living in the left leg of his hammer pants. <laughs> Just fantastic. Yeah. David Ketchner gets the best lines in this movie. True. Because after Jeremy Piven calls out that it was a hate crime, he goes, was it a hate crime or a freedom crime? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> freedom fries. <laughs> oh, God. Listen, if you are younger than 20... Now, if you're younger than, like, 27, you may not remember how weird 2002 to 2004 was. It was extremely weird and scary. But that's... For a different time. Yeah. Yeah. Stripper show up. Don Hard reads their deal. One of them's in college. One of them's a single mom. One's a cokehead. Well, to be fair. Okay. This is a salesman thing. This is a salesman thing because he tells them their job. You know, greet people, get them in the buying mood. And she volunteers the information. Well, since it's 4th of July, we can talk about how this government constantly screws over veterans. And he goes, let me guess, you're dancing to pay for your political science degree. She's like, oh my gosh, how did you know? Yeah, how did he know? Anyway, he goes, eh, I mean, strip stores typically come in three. Master's degree, single parent, or cokehead. Ed goes to the next stripper and is like, what's your son's name? And then to the third stripper, he's like, I'm just joking around. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm bananas. Have fun. And walks off. And stripper's just like, Sapphire, clean your nose. <laughs> yeah. The one who's doing college stuff is the only one who will, like, matter for this movie. Yeah, you never see the other two again. No, you do see you do see the single mom once or twice again, but... She doesn't have any lines, I don't think. This one, the one we kind of follow, her name's Heather. I do not remember learning it until the end of the movie. Yeah, there's a credit sequence. Anyway. DJ Request shows up, and he is a weird inner struggle about taking requests. Yeah, yeah, he does. And it's clear that he was an apprentice to a Kung Fu master DJ. <laughs> because fucking Tony Hale's like, hey, play some, I think he says YMCA by the village people. No, that was the second one. So the first oh. one, David Ketchner says, hey, this place is about to pop. Put on some Charlie Daniels. And he's like, you read my mind. Tits. You know, I love it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, come on, guy. So then we zoom into him and he gets this like stone face. He's like, you can't let them bully you. You can't let them push you around. Otherwise they take your power. And then he like goes back to a fun loving attitude. Right. Yeah. Just literally the best character in the movie. Fucking mm -hmm. amazing. And then the last thing that happens before we actually get into sales is that Brent talks to Zuha, Tony Hale, because he's shredding pictures of his kids. Yes. And this content warning for the fat phobia you kind of figured was going to be in this movie. He makes a thing about how like skinny kids customer likes you. Fat kids, customer hates you. Fat wife, customer pities you. And I'm just like, come on, guys. That said, we do live in a fat phobic culture and I hate it. It's stupid, but that's reality. Death to fat phobia. Anyway. They are lined up in the lot with customers banging on the gate. It's going to be a bloodbath. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to back up just a little sure. bit because they skipped over the actual sales seminar. It's like they did the speeches an hour before opening and hung some stuff up. But then Brent quizzes everybody on their sales tactics and everything. Very good. This is how sales consultants work. They don't just show up and sell stuff. They teach you how to sell as well. So, you know, there's a bunch of trite bullshit like Zuha to sell you must and he's like conceal confuse conflict whatever 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 and it gets to Dick Lewiston <laughs> Dick Lewiston goes go fuck yourself you bald son of a bitch I've seen more hair on bacon good enough <laughs> also there was a thing between Don and Ivy that like who cares yeah he's being a jealous bitch and also it seems like Ivy doesn't really like Paxton that much yeah well okay so small town you get what you get. It'll become more apparent later. So 
It's time to sell some shit. Ah! Ah! Sell the metal! Sell the metal! Anyway, yes, they scream as they walk towards each other, and then just, like, as they meet, Hi, welcome to Selic Motors. Let's get you in the car. Which, okay, sales 101, that's a good framing. First off, they come to the lot because they're interested in buying a car. You start with, hi, let's get you in a car. That automatically frames them as, you're going to get a car. Let's just figure out which one. I don't want to just, like, go through every joke. There's now a lot of little sketches about them selling cars, and they do well. Yes, they have a killer first day. 71 cars sold. Yeah, a couple of things. Oh, we set up the Bandit car. It's a car that was used in Smokey and the Bandit that Ben bought. Yeah, it's a Pontiac Trans Am. I don't know what year, like 69 maybe? Doesn't matter. It's a prop. And Ben is like, no, that car is worth $200,000. Won't take a penny less for it. Chekhov's gun is a literary device. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's this thing we see one of the regular salesmen, Blake, doing a celebration dance after he's made a sale. And Brent remarks, hey, Don, isn't that your move? Well, you know, I usually end mine with a two-gun salute to heaven, but yeah, pretty close. And then he does the two-gun salute to heaven and is like, hey, Brent, remember when I told you in the strip club that I partied with Miss Temecula like 23 years ago? I didn't wear a rubber. And so this starts another subplot. That we just don't care about. Although, I will say we care more about this one than some of the other subplots. Yeah. I don't remember what led to it, but there's a part where Brent starts talking to Don about something, about like a crazy sale he pulled off. Yes. Okay. So this is one of those, it's sort of the inverse of the like, you get the last line of the joke gag, where he goes, all right, you know that guy that wanted the Explorer? Here's what I had him do. Sell his own house to himself for a dollar, which is nothing. But to the bank, and this is where it fades out so Don can have a moment of introspection and then kind of like snaps out of his fugue saying, like, yeah, hey, good job. He's like, what do I do, Don? Walks away. Fuck you, I don't need your validation. That was the best fucking line of the movie. (laughs) Yes. Fuck you, I don't need your validation. Uh, And if you saw my live tweet, which I know none of you did, that was my face when nobody likes any of my very funny live react tweets. (laughs) Oh, I am hilarious. Anyway. They sold a third of the cars. Great first day. Fantastic first day. And that's good enough right now. So they're talking about it afterwards. Okay, great day. Nigerian buyback. A Nigerian buyback is where you take a trade-in from a customer, and then 20 minutes later, you sell that same trade-in to the customer at a markup. This is a disgusting scam. They thought it was hilarious. And the apotheosis of good salesmanship which again satire this is a very effective satire sales is a disgusting practice so they're leaving jibby does something with heather the one stripper they're hanging out in a car while she's changing no that was later this one they're just like in the back room talking over the sales day about to go to karaoke and okay they go great way to celebrate the first day with some oki and everyone's like oki what's oki he goes Dick, tell him what Oki is, and... May I? Yeah, you you have to be the one. He's talking about karaoke! You fucking queers! Dick Lewiston says, you fucking queers, a lot in this movie. Which he then, you know, later, he clarifies. And again, I think this movie is accidentally woke. <laughs> but as they're leaving, who pulls up to the lot but Paxton and his dad, played by Alan Thicke. Delightful. And one, two, skip a few... They now have to sell every car on the lot, or Don has to leave town and get out of the sales game, and Ben gets a night with Brent. And Ben's going to sell a lot to Stu. Yes, that's the other consequence of failing to sell every single car on the lot. Chekhov's gun is a literary device. Oh my god. (laughs) Also, I made a note here that Paxton is like three different kinds of 80s villains rolled into one. Oh, do tell. Because there's the, the boyfriend. Okay. There's what feels like would happen in a ski movie, like the rival skier. Okay. Okay. That's the type. And then, of course, the corrupt businessman. It's like, well, we have to raise $20,000 to save the orphanage or the bank's going to foreclose. And he's the bank in that. Yeah. The corrupt businessman. But I repeat myself. Tautological. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, oh, no, he's four types because he's also precisely 
the preps from Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. Another movie about sexual assault, or with a prominent sexual assault plotline. They go to karaoke. The team's really pissed that Don didn't just take the agreement for them to get paid out of their contract, basically. Yep, they do the fun thing where, like, one member of the team calms down another, and then, like, the rest of the deal is stipulated, and then that team member who calmed the first one down does the exact same thing as the first person. I need every swinging dick in the field. Babs? Let's do it. We find out that the thing that happened in Kirky is that a guy died. Yeah. We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. We also hear some very fun nicknames for Albuquerque. Stupid. Kirky, the Duke City, A-Town, Captain Kirk. Who calls it Captain Kirk? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Ving Rames. <laughs> Fantastic. So at this point, Don still thinks that Blake is probably his son. Too many coincidences. So he sings something from Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Yeah. Something about a long and lonesome highway east of Omaha, which is in Iowa. And like, or anything east of Omaha is in Iowa because Omaha is a border city. And like, I'm pretty sure I've been on that long and lonesome highway. Probably. Anyway, doesn't matter. Next day, they make a new ad spot for TV. Yeah, this is grim. Don't do this. But it is very much a salesman thing. Nothing, and I mean nothing, ethical can stand in the way of you making that sale. Closers close, even if it means telling people you're dying of cancer when you're not. All cancer. Cancer of the nads. <laughs> the chemo's kicking in. My hair's falling out. But as they note, people are a little too grief-stricken to buy cars. Quick point. Peter is wearing a sweater when they're reviewing this ad spot. Do you know what the sweater says? I don't remember. Big ups! It's a big ups sweater. <sighs> All right. Sure. <laughs> it's, fun. it's so much fun. Come on. It's fun. Right. So... Don's maybe hitting a wall, is what he says. Yeah, it's not going great, but at three o'clock, Bo Bice's brother, Eric, is going to show up and sing some tunes. Paxton comes around to pick up Ivy. He's annoying. What are supposed to be jokes happen? Yeah, bad at this. And then drives off. Well, guess what? Eric Bice has adult chicken pox and can't show. So Don's like, well, we did karaoke last night. I can do some more. DJ. Hit it. And it goes back to Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. And sucks at it. This was old time rock and roll, right? Not night moves. That's correct. And Dick Lewiston is in the crowd and starts a riot. Crazy shit happens. Somehow gators get on the lot. You know, <laughs> fuck brown alligators. Yeah. <laughs> Cops show up and start arresting white people. DJ requests is like, hell yeah, let's lock up some white people. I never thought I'd say this, but thank God the police are here. Yeah. Unrealistic, honestly. Yes. And then Don turns it around. It's amazing. Like, although I will say the very first thing that occurred to me, and this is the political organizer in me. He's right. When was the last time there were more cameras on this lot? Get out in front of them and spin. Spin like your life depends on it. My livelihood depends on it. <laughs> this is also the first time we see big ups practice. <laughs> They're bad. But then the entire genre of music was pretty much indistinguishable one song from the next. Yeah. So. This was correctly in the genre of indistinguishable mush, but the dance moves were just atrocious and also hetero light. Not cohesive. Not cohesive at all. These are not dancers. No. They're aping the style yes. without really getting there themselves. And just like, I know it's Temecula, but there is a ballet studio. There's got to be. <laughs> There's a ballet studio everywhere. Learn something. So they sell their cop promotion, whatever. Yep. And they're turning it around. So Paxton has already got it into his head that they're going to get the lot because nobody's buying these old theaters. And certainly not all 211 of them in three days. That's three psychotically good days in a row. Mm -hmm. So they're pretty excited because Big Ups now has a new rehearsal space. Woo! With a parking lot that is way too big. It sounds like the intention is it's going to sell cars, but now the rehearsal space also exists within the dealership. Whatever. Who cares? Oh, that's right. You're right. Yeah. Who cares about those logistics? That's ancillary. 
Don does some like pseudo father shit with Blake. He plays catch with him. I mean, during a Fourth of July sale, I mean, it's good optics. You do that in front of customers if you're not busy. Yeah, but he does it in the back room because he needs to do it as like a bonding thing. Because again, he thinks Blake's his kid. Yep. Blake has a poor idea of his father, so Don's like disheartened. Yep. The next thing I have is that we learn the story of Kirky. Is there anything in between? Really? I don't recall there being anything important in between. So Kirky, okay. Will Ferrell plays Don's best friend, McDermott. McDermott is a car sale DJ, which is a niche of DJing that I was not aware existed. I don't think it does. Probably not. So anyway, they were doing fine in Albuquerque. Everything was looking great. So Don decided, let's put it over the top because I'm trying to get my dick wet. So he has McDermott skydive onto the lot dressed as Abe Lincoln while he's trying to make it with a woman who has bad credit in the back of a used car. Sure. Sure. Why not? Sure. It's Albuquerque. Well, she had him pack a bunch of sex toys and it's in a package that we're meant to believe is identical to a parachute and he grabbed the wrong one he grabbed the parachute so mcdermott got the dildos yeah and mcdermott falls to his death it's raining man shit i couldn't think of a good joke off that nope there is none that's just that can sit on its own yeah so basically don thinks that when he like loses focus on selling bad shit happens yep because also the riot happened when he quote-unquote lost focus Because he was focused on both Ivy and on Blake. So he's got to focus up. He's got to focus up. And first, let's let's talk about this. Because, okay, for day one, an insane day, 71 cars sold. Day two, my estimate was 35 cars. You did half of your insane day. That's fine. I mean, it's not going to clear the lot, but it's a good day. Yeah. Is this... (laughs) Yeah, it has to be here. This is where they're leaving and... They're like, DJ Request, go home. Yeah. And he drags out his sign off. So they just turn off the power. And we get, I don't do what I'm told. I'm what's called a contrarian. And then they turn off the power. Like, oh, oh, you're going to turn off the power? Like, it's going to scare me? I'm homeless. (laughs) I'm homeless, motherfuckers. Fantastic. (laughs) So that night, we go to the Hacienda Courts. Unearned pity sex. Yeah. Ivy shows up to bone down with Don. Jibby and Heather make love. Again, unearned. Nobody gives a shit. Yep. But what was the line Jibby says? Because it's just so good. You know what nobody ever tells you about making love? How boring it is. You can do whatever you want. My safe word is blueberry pancakes. (laughs) What a guy. (laughs) Fantastic. Next morning... Don brings in breakfast for him and Ivy and assumes that she's going to break off her engagement. Bold assumption. Let's see if it pays off. It does not. It does not. So he has a bit of an issue grappling with this. One of the things she says is that she's almost 30 and we want the same things. I'm like, that's not a good enough reason to get married. You know, in 1995, that would have sufficed. And honestly, unless your purpose in life is to reproduce, which makes you a weirdo, by the way, that's your entire personality. You're a fucking weirdo. It's nice. You can reproduce if you want. But if that's your entire goal in life, you're not living at all. Anyway, 30 gives you like the biological clock thing is what the joke is. Lol. Moving on. Don freaks out and just rushes out of the room into the California desert. Good call. Anyway, so at this point, it's day three. It's the final day of the sale. And the crew is at his hotel room trying to find him. And Ivy comes out, gives him the details. And it's like, and you didn't see me here. And scoots off. So they go to the lot and they're like, sorry, guys. Sorry from all of us. Don isn't here. And the team is like, yeah, but we don't need him. He taught us how to sell cars and we're now good at it. Question mark? Let's do it for Don. Sure. He's not dead, but whatever. It's day two of a sales consultant. And everybody hates it when sales consultants come in, by the way. They do give off the sleaze, but also 
they're better than you and they know it and it sucks. So it's it's easy to resent. It also means your manager doesn't know how to manage really. Also true. Or how to instruct you properly and how to sell. Right. Which is part of management. So Don's wandering about. He ends up in a junkyard and you hear like voice lines of like all the mean shit people have said about him across the movie, which is like three lines. James Vanderbeek. <laughs> Very out of place. Love it. That's a fun joke. And then we get McDermott. McDermott is back. He has returned. With angelic backup singers. Fantastic. Short of it is, he says, Don, you've lost your way. It's not about the cars. It's about the team. It's about the people you work with. Wow, we're on the subject. You're too old for a Facebook page. Which, that aged very poorly. They also tell him how and when he will die. <laughs> Choking on a sausage patty in a strip club. Can, can you sing it? Because it sounds sad. No, no, we can't. We talked about it. And no, it is sad. It's not very lyrical. August 19th, 2036. <laughs> yes. So Don needs to find a way back. And like he's walking and comes across a plane. Sure. There's lots of small... FBOs in California. Doesn't matter, though, because the team is crushing it without him. They clear the lot. They literally clear the lot, which means, hold on, that's 100 and... About 110 cars-ish? Something like, yeah. I mean, they sell all but the bandit car. Yeah. Chekhov's gun is a literary device. So he skydives in, and the lot is empty. While he's skydiving, parachuting, he's like, wow. Where are the cars? Lands, and they're like, we sold all the cars. We did it for you, Mr. Reddy. And he's like, yeah, y'all just saved Selleck Motors. And to Paxton, who says, you didn't, though. You didn't sell the Bandit car. It's like, that's a prop. Don, that's not a prop. That is a high-performance car. Won't take less than 200000 for it. Kyle? Yeah. What's he do next? Don sells the fuck out of this car. However, I will say... As he's, like, starting his sales pitch, he's still strapped in to T.J. Miller, who was his, like... The parachutist. Yes, thank you. Unclips. And Don starts waxing poetic about dreams and goals and whatnot, and really sells Paxton on using this car as a prop for big ups. Not only that, but also convinces him to quit his job and make music his full-time career knowing that the reviews for Big Ups is that they fucking blow. Which, I guess that's one way to dispose of your adversary. Yeah. It's also sleazy as fuck. It's fine. Paxton's a Nepo baby. He'll fail upwards. Yeah. Paxton gets suckered in, buys the car. Hey, they won. They did it. They cleared the lot. And also, deus ex machina on all of the subplots. I mean, aside from the Brent thing, which didn't work out. Right. Paxton also breaks up with Ivy to go live the life on the Florida Panhandle. Don't do that. That's a downgrade? Not from Temecula. That's a lateral move. Yeah. So then we get one last shot of McDermott. We did it, McDermott. Happy ending. If you call selling cars in Temecula a happy ending. Temecula is not even motherfucking Fresno. Epilogue, we get... The little bit of text because they don't want to show it because why? Thank fuck this movie's over. Yeah. Roll credits. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? You know, I tried to do some digging on what makes this exactly such good satire. And I kind of ran out of time a little bit. But as I said, this movie is accidentally woke. And because of that, it is accidentally an extremely competent satire. And I want to talk about why that is. So we have talked about a definition of satire on this show before. It's not quite, though, like, that's not a set definition. In fact, there is no set definition. So I read a paper that argued that satire is not a genre, but a mode of discourse that transcends genre. So To do this, you kind of need a definition of what it is, and you can go back. One of the definitions that I really liked was a Greek definition. So the satiric is a dramatic poem annexed to a tragedy, having a chorus, Temecula, which consists of the satyrs, 
The persons represented in it are all illustrious men. The action is great. The style is partly serious and partly jocular. And the event of the action is most commonly happy. Now, the Romans built on that a little bit and said it's a kind of poetry without a serious action invented for the purging of our minds, which this does very effectively. This is a head-empty-ass movie. In which human vices, ignorance, and errors, and all things beside, which are produced from them in every man, are severely reprehended. Partly dramatically, partly simply, and sometimes in both kinds of speaking, but, for the most part, figuratively and occultly, consisting in a low, familiar way that's low comedy, chiefly in a sharp, pungent manner of speech, but partly also in a facetious and civil way of jesting. So that's a lot of bullshit. <laughs> Jonathan Swift kind of makes it a little clearer. It's a sort of glass wherein beholders do generally discover everybody's face but their own, which is the chief reason for that kind of reception it meets in the world, and then so very few are offended by it. So this is what every comedian wants to say they do, but very few of them actually do it. You look at Dave Chappelle, right? Dave Chappelle used to be extremely funny and then, you know, got in some trouble and came back. And as comedians who get in trouble and come back tend to do, they stop telling jokes and they start discoursing. And he tries to defend himself like, I'm a comedian. And my job is to take truth to power. And no, it's not. No, it's not. That's not your job. That's a satirist job. You're not a satirist. You're a comedian. But in trying to do satire, they fail to attack the vice and instead attack the person. And that's why their satire sucks. This is what people mean when they say satire punches up. It's funny you bring up Dave Chappelle in particular. Is it? Yes. Because one thing that really threw me off once we got to the credits was that this was directed by Neil Brennan, who was a big contributor on Chappelle's show. Oh, neat. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, actually saw a clip of some interview he did with Nick Kroll. And it's like, well, both of those people have partners who landed in hot water for different reasons and different intensity of reasons. Who's Nick Kroll's partner? John Mulaney. Oh, oh yeah, fair enough. So to kind of close out a definition of satire that's like perfected by Jonathan Swift. Jonathan Swift, by the way, was an Irishman. So I'm going to have to do this in a bit of a brogue so that it rhymes, because it does rhyme when you do it in the right accent. Perhaps Amelo, the dean, had too much satire in his vein and seemed determined not to starve it, because no age could more deserve it. Yet malice never was his aim. He lashed the vice but spared the name. No individual could resent, where thousands equally were meant. His satire points at no defect, but what all mortals may correct. For he abhorred that senseless tribe, who call it humor when they jibe, he spared a hump or crooked nose for whose owners could not set up for a bow. So that sort of like tells you what satire is in a very fun way, I guess. You don't do it out of malice. You don't do it out of hatred. You do it to correct a vice. Oh, like eating children. Yeah, <laughs> like eating children. And to kind of put that into a motto, the Roman poet Juvenal said, difficile et satorum non scribere. So it's difficult not to write satire. And yet these motherfuckers manage it. Anyway, this movie was great satire because it points at vices. It points at capitalism. It points at sales, which sales doesn't get enough shit as I practice under capitalism. It generates an artificial need and thus perpetuates an exchange theory of value as opposed to a labor theory of value. If we got rid of sales, most of the things that would be sold were things that people need or use, as opposed to, by the way, I'm going to use a bunch of psychological tricks to convince you that what you really need is an SUV. And you definitely need the extended warranty. Anyway, so this is a great satire of capitalism, of sales, and of sales consultancy specifically, because sales consultants are the low priests of sales at a capitalist cult that's mostly what i have what do you have first kyle truly nothing i finished my second watch this morning because i just couldn't but in the vein of this being a satire it's a great takedown of like grind culture even mm -hmm. in 2009 at one point don says he's on the road 51.5 weeks out of the year that's too much there are 52 weeks in a year 
most people working a regular job work about 50 weeks a year. And that's including like federal holidays. So things are closed and any vacation and already America works too much. So to then say, I'm going to work an extra week and a half to just barely get it under working every single waking moment of my life, you got something wrong with you. (laughs) It also skewers conservatism as a vice because you look at every instance in which Don uses like a patriotic line. And he does. He, He leans on patriotism in his sales pitches a lot. And it always leads to shit that is just sociopathically antisocial. If you, on an airplane, blow a cloud of cigarette smoke in my face, I'm feeding you into the engines. And if you commit a hate crime against a guy who's not even Japanese, he's he's Korean. They're like, why did you say so? And it's like, why didn't you ask? His name is also Teddy Dang. Dang is not a Japanese last name. It's not even close. I don't even think you can make those sounds in that order in Japanese. Something I learned is that You can be the victim of a hate crime, even if you're not part of the minority group that it was directed against, as long as the attacker perceives that you are. Again, 2002 was a scary time, especially if you were a Sikh, because there was a perception that Muslim men wear turbans, which is by and large not true. There's also a thing about making amends with the past with him like trying to make up for walking out on his son, even though who knows that ended up not being real and him being literally visited by the ghost of a man whose death he caused. Sometimes comical, sometimes serious. Good satire. Ratings. Ratings. On a scale of enjoyability, standard scale one to 10, where do you want to put this? Despite myself, I have to give this an eight. Strong eight. Kyle? I think I'm going to go six. That's fair. Honestly, this is not for everybody. I really loved the one-liners, and the more I dug into the concept of satire, the more I realized that this was really, really well-done satire, and I just, I, I like it. On a scale of obscurity. With one being a Best Picture nominee, ten being a literal student film, I'm going to put this at six and a half. It is on the more obscure side, but I know like our like eight to 10 range is we have stuff that's like way more obscure. Yeah, I'm going to meet you there. Six and a half is good for this one. All right. As we wrap up our episode, we end with our pop culture pop out, a piece of pop culture we have been interested in lately and just want to talk about for a little bit. Sophia, start us off. So a friend of a friend had a birthday last night and... For this birthday, there was a big crowd that was supposed like we we had a big group chat and a whole bunch of people. We were going to go see a movie at the Independent Film Center right here in New York City. And turns out that a friend of that friend of a friend was the antagonist in the movie. Now, this was a monster movie, so you can't tell. You mean they played the antagonist, right? Yes, they played the antagonist. (laughs) Yes, they played the antagonist who was kind of floating somewhere between like the creeper from Jeepers Creepers and some other horrible things. It was okay. It's an independent film. It was at the IFC. It was an independent film and independent films are passion projects. So I don't want to I don't want to be too harsh on it. I will say that about 90 percent of the movie, I was thinking, yes, I also enjoyed Pan's Labyrinth. (laughs) It does have a vibe, and I will say that the director was clearly inspired by very, very specific works and artists. And as this director gets a little more experience in filmmaking, those influences will start to be a little harder to detect than they are now, because this was, mm, man, this was very clearly shot for shot, three different movies. That said, Guillermo del Toro is not a bad artist to ape. No, if you're going to ape an artist... Well, the thing is, you got to do it the right way. Sure. And this kind of like took the metaphor of the scene that he's aping in Pan's Labyrinth and goes in a different direction with it, which is something you can do. Like that scene had a very... We're talking about the scene with the guy with the eyes. The pale man. The pale man. Thank you. And that is a reference to starvation and famine 
in Francoist Spain. You can take that and say, okay, yes, it also stands in for X, Y, or Z, or can be made to stand in for X, Y, and Z. It spoke to me in these terms. And that's fine, but you have to do it in a way that is different. Because otherwise you're just like, oh, there's the starvation metaphor in this movie about not starvation. So it's a whole thing. I think that it's a well-done movie by a director who is clearly pretty new to directing. I think the antagonist was super effective. It's called Moon Garden. And it was fun. I don't typically like horror movies. It was fine. It was a good movie. So Kyle, what do you got for us? Season three of a sleeper hit Comedy Central show recently came out and is like in the process of coming out called The Other Two. The premise of this, at least in the first season, is that this middle teenage aged kid gets famous off of like YouTube type of thing. Clearly kind of a Justin Bieber thing, but the kid has two older siblings in their late 20s who also want to work in a like creative industry. One's an actor, one wants to be a manager. At least at one point, she becomes a manager. And so they're not doing great. So it's kind of them being adjacent to this kid's success. And things have developed further and further. But his manager, the kid's manager, is Ken Marino, friend of the pod, Ken Marino. Bow, 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 bow. So, yeah, I think it's a sleeper hit. I think it's very funny. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And this new season has been very interesting as well. Also support the WGA. For sure. SAG-AFTRA might be going on strike in June. Maybe DGA as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oof. 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 Fuck you, David Zaslav. Yes, absolutely. Sophia, where can people find you online? I am kind of stepping back from Cora. I'm currently on Twitter suspension for... I asked a politician who was complaining about replacing his mother's gas stove with an induction stove. He was complaining about it, how the cost was going to come down on his mother, even though the landlord was going to pay for it. And I suggested that instead of licking the capitalist boot, he should his mom's landlord. And I got a suspension for that because you can't threaten landlords on Twitter. But they're not even people. Come on. I know, they're not. They're tapeworms stuck up the ass of our society. But that said... I will be back on Twitter at Hamilcar Renina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. I am on Blue Sky. My at is transgending.bsky.social. I'm stepping away from Quora. I don't really answer stuff there anymore. I mostly use it to plug my medium, Sophia Helena Maestatrix. There I do the Queering House. That's my queer media analysis project. I'm writing something up on Moon Garden. I don't think it's very queer and I don't think it's in good taste to call it queer or try to queer it because, well, it's a movie about a child and right now is not the time. So I also have The Fifth Columnist, my rogue political opinions, not affiliated with my employer. I am also working on a thing about Ken Paxton and his pornographic obsession with gunboats that the highway patrol uses to patrol the Rio Grande. Rotten piss. Ken Paxton, you deserve to be fired. And I hope you get done for war crimes, Ron DeSantis. Anyway, I'm on Hive when that decides to work right. Don't find me on Facebook. Kyle, where can people find you? I was hoping this would be the day I could announce that I deleted my Twitter, but nope. So I am on Twitter at KyleTheKiggles. I'm on Tumblr, Letterboxd, and Twitch under HebroHammer. We also have a Twitter account at OffTheFilmPath where we mostly tweet about the movies we watch, but sometimes other ones that aren't for the pod. If you would like, there's a link at the bottom of our show notes where you can leave a voice message to appear in an upcoming episode, whether to talk about your own pop culture obsession or discuss the movies we talk about. Have your inputs heard. But in order to get in on the next one, Sophia, what are we watching? We're watching The Love Guru, baby. Yeah. You want to know why? Why, Sophia? Because it's my 29th birthday. Yes, your 29th birthday. You shut the fuck up. (laughs) Thank you very much for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and Spotify. Tell your friends about our antagonistic relationship to each other, apparently. (laughs) And skydive over a Temecula car lot with a bag full of dildos that will land 
in a way that spells out on the lot our podcast name. Thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.